0: Today's date is July 15th, 2018. This morning we will continue in our eschatological series with the third subject titled, Judgment to Come, Consequence of Accountability. We could show that title screen for us. There we go. Okay, yes. Amen. Last Sunday, Pastor Wade taught on the separation of sheep and goats. Was that a good message? You know, he brought a clear revelation that this separation is not between Believers and non-believers, it's within the believers that call themselves sheep but are really acting like goats, and God makes that distinction. The uh, context of this parable and six others related to this distinction, and the clear point is that God waits for the fullness of men's lives to then declare eternal judgment, thereby giving all men opportunity to be transformed. Who wants to be transformed? Amen. Amen. To be transformed from a tare to a wheat or a goat into a sheep. Once transformed, it is our responsibility. Let me say that again. Once transformed. So raise your hand if you are transformed. It is now your responsibility to carry out the deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And to finish his work. In order to finish his work. We must be in constant engagement, say constant Constant. engagement of God's word, which is living and active. Because we know Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, right? Does anybody know what Hebrews 4.13 says? Quoted by heart. Ready? Go. Without looking. Okay, amen. Let's turn to it. Pull up Hebrews four thirteen. Actually, go back to 12, though. we reread it, and we'll come to 13. This is to illustrate, sometimes we have a great familiarity with certain verses, but the ones that surround it give it context, and they give it life. We can't separate the two. So we begin in 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, everybody say judges, Judges. the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This has been a staple of my life of sharing with you guys and pouring into others that and God's word has to be viewed as something that is current. It's relative, but more importantly, it is constantly judging and judging what the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. let's go to the next verse to see where that thought carries on. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. In all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give an account. Let me repeat that last part. To whom we must give an account. You know, there will, is coming a day when every deed that you have ever done, you're going to have to stand before the king of kings and give an accounting for. You did this. Is that correct? Yes. And it'll be measured. It's kind of scary. If you, if you, if you love it, look forward to it, amen, you're on the right track. But I think for most people's hearts, this is a, a scary endeavor of what's to come. this particular passage 412 and 413 who is the writer speaking to believers Believers. more importantly he's speaking to us he's speaking to you he's speaking to me this isn't just an axiom for the world at large to adhere to this is the very thing that should be the result of us engaging god's word so say this with me y'all ready to repeat some more say everything i do will be judged, judged. nothing is hidden. hidden. We're going to say this ad nauseum this morning, because if anything that I can do for you in understanding end times, understanding the judgment to come is to understand how to rightly engage God's word and measure your deeds, your thoughts, and the attitude of your heart, because there is an accounting that you're going to have to give at the end of your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's, let's pull up a slide about thoughts. When we talk about Hebrews 4.12 and how God's word is living and active, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Somebody, When we were studying this morning, somebody brought up just the idea that within the past 48 hours of your life, what if we took every thought, every attitude, and every emotion and we put it right here on the screen? Now that might be, you know, very uncomfortable, but then let's do the last thing and let's put your name up there. So that every e- even idle word or notion of thought is now on display for the family of God that sits in this room, 150 people. What would that feel like? It'd feel embarrassing. You would want it to come back off of that screen as soon as possible, Right? I want you to imagine, not just imagine, but I want you to realize and get the revelation. There will be a day when everything that you have ever done, even the thoughts and attitudes of your heart, are going to be laid bare and uncovered for all to see. Not only is it just you and Jesus at his throne, but this is uncovered for all to have purview of what should that do with the way that we live today it should instill the fear of god it should give us weight and give us a sense of accountability not just of the sum total of our lives but on every little thing that we do and that producing a fruit of righteousness that Producing a fruit of being rewarded, that being entrusted with the things of God at that judgment time. Let's go through this a little bit more further. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Say there when you are there. Verse 16 is where we'll start. We'll start. Verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Here's the important part. Therefore, Consider carefully how you listen. Particularly listening to what? The very first scripture that we covered. His word, which is alive and it's active. And it's judging the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. What daily interaction and engagement with God's word should look like is that as I engage his word, it's revealing to me the secrets of my own heart. It's revealing to me that which is going to be laid bare before the entirety of mankind and before the king of kings, and to which I will have to give an account. That when we look at this, and more importantly, put it into practice on a daily, let's say hourly, if not minute, how about second? Every microsecond that we live and breathe, we are constantly engaging God's word. It should be cutting and measuring the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So therefore, we should consider carefully how we listen to what's being spoken. Let me bring a, a bit of encouragement. Engaging God's word obviously looks like opening up and reading it. But can't this also come from sermons like this? Yes. So anytime I have the question after a, a word or I hear the question asked, Pastor, was it, uh, was it me that you were preaching to? Yes, absolutely. I had you in mind the entire time. And everybody that asked me afterwards, I will say the exact same thing. And even when I ask myself, I tell myself the same thing. <laughs> of course. Because his word is living and active. And as we begin to share and declare his word, you know what? We should be living. We should be active. And the things that we are sharing should be judging the thoughts and attitudes of not only our own hearts, but other people's hearts as we give it as well. And we should be spurring them on to consider carefully, therefore, how they listen. Now, that's the the sermons here. That may be a one-on-one session with one of the pastors. Raise your hand if you ever had one of those. Amen. Is it a joy? Yes, Yes, that's kind of popcorn all around the room. Yes, in the end, it's a joy because it's life-giving. Amen? But that also can come from one to another from a peer. That may look like households with mothers and, and fathers and, and wives and husbands. That may look like one of your children coming up after you and your wife are having a dispute. And mom, dad, I think the scripture says to not to let the sun go down on your anger. How often do we discredit the living and active word because it's coming through someone that we really don't honor or respect? Let's put up those lists of thoughts again. So we have anxious. We have envy. Do I really belong here? Self-sufficiency, fear, arrogance, lust. I really can't do this. I'm just mad. Or offense. You know, one of the greatest dangers to receiving that life-giving word that judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart right now and prevents us from carefully listening is that we hold on to these thoughts and attitudes. And we, we do not let the Word of God rightly judge where it is. I don't know about you. I don't want any raising of hands or comments. But I know that exists within man's heart is the wonderful and skillful ability to justify. Right? Well, I just know that she said this because da, 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 da. and you've laid out the argument to discredit the truth that was brought out. And guess what? It probably won't be the, the communicated in the most perfect way. They use the word then instead of the. So everything that they said is wrong. Now, I'm being, you know, hyperbolic for a reason, but it just so shows the extent of rejection of his word that's being spoken. And what we should be walking around at all times is a, a line of sight on God's word that gives us the ability to carefully listen to everything that God is saying. Do we want to be like Balaam, that we have to have a donkey speak to us? And even if he does, he's right, and we still have to repent. So this morning, you have a donkey speaking to you. And hopefully the word comes alive, cause you to repent, and we lead to life. Amen. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. Say there when you are there. There we go. Come on. If you got some coffee down below your feet, watch out. You don't kick it over, but take a sip. Stay alert. Stay awake. This morning, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Hopefully, I can cut your heart and sew it right back together. Daniel 2 verse 22 he reveals deep and what kind of things Hidden. hidden things What kind of things do we place in the depths and the shadows of our own heart You know most of the time we don't even realize that they are there You know having a discussion with my wife yesterday after 20 years of marriage There are new scenarios and new events that come up that reveal something that is deep and hidden within us that we need to perfect, that we need to grow in. You'll have somewhere in our mind that once you reach this marker, you know, I've been uh, married for 20 years, I've been born again for this many years, I should know better. Well, yes, you should. And the reality is, is that God's word is ever seeking the depths and the hidden places of our own heart. And we should constantly be letting his word work through those depths and work through those hidden things because who benefits from the revelation of what is hidden deep inside of you? We do. We are the first recipients of that. And then as a byproduct, those around us. If you have a hidden offense, if you have a hidden sin, or maybe just a hidden attitude that you've never voiced to anybody else directly, doesn't it affect your mood? Doesn't it affect the way that you interact with the body? Doesn't it overall affect the way that you carry out the will of God? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the first generation that was in the desert coming out of Egypt. And just for the sake of grumbling in my own tent in this deep, in this hidden manner, be cut off from the promises of God, denied entry into His promises, and my sole focus only has to be making sure the next generation lives and is able to go. I want to finish the work that God has given me. And when I face the judgment to come, I have already done the work Of being judged by his word on a microsecond level. So that when I stand before him. And you stand before him. We can have confidence. Daniel received from God what was necessary to reveal the mystery. Of what was inside of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And this was his his praise immediately after. Because Nebuchadnezzar set up a gauntlet. Basically, you tell me what I dream and then interpret it. Daniel got it all, gave it to him dead on, and then he turns around and he gives praise to God. And this is a portion of it. He continues in 22 that he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. The very first thing that God did in restoring the entirety of the earth is found in genesis 1 and we all know it. he said let there be light. Sun moon and stars were not made until the fourth day So what was that light? It was his presence It was making that distinction of what was him and what was not him and that he went into the depths into the darkness and began to establish his restoration with his presence and with his word it was living, it was active, it was then judging what was happening on earth. And then he brought life out of it. Come on, how about you? I want you just, uh, we're going to take our time through this. Because I want you to grasp the enormity of what judgment is. And it's not just the judgment to come in thousands of years or whatever else it may be. How are you interacting with the judgment of God's word today? How much are you avoiding or justifying yourself around its application to your thoughts and attitudes? I'm really not even talking about yet the deeds. I'm talking about what precedes the things that you do. How deep are you letting God's word penetrate your heart? And I know that for me, that can do better. That can increase. Because the end result is that not only am I or you are benefited, but the king of kings is benefited. The reward that is due him is found first by me engaging his word and let it cut into the depths of my heart. Amen? Say this with me. Everything I do... We'll be, we'll be judged. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. There you go. Say there when you're there. Amen. Second Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear. How many all All appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for things done in the body that are only good good and what good and bad but I I thought the blood of Jesus covers this what covers me from the penalty of death It covers me and enables me to enter into his presence. But we still have to give an account. And how we are rewarded is based on how we performed in this life, in this body, and giving an account and letting God's judgment fall upon us for things done that are good or bad. I want to make sure that that is clear. That we must give an account for everything that we have ever done. I don't know about you, but that's weighty to me. That makes me, first of all, look backwards and going, oh my word, okay. I mean, have you guys ever had someone else look at a bank statement and how you spend money? You ever had to go through some type of financial counseling? It is torturous. I'd rather have my toenails pulled. That's like... uh, we were in a court situation and the judge looked at a, a bank statement. He's like, who eats out that much? Well, pastors who pick up the tab, taking people to dinner and doing counseling. But there, there's this exposure. There's this uncovering that we have a hard time just with a bank statement. We even have a more a harder time just the thought of everything that we thought and felt being on a screen with our name on it for our, just our church family to see. There is a judgment coming, so we have to anticipate it with our daily life now. Here in 2 Corinthians 5.10, the judgment seat is also known as the bema seat. Everybody say bema. This is the Greek word for judgment seat. And it's the bema seat of Christ, which addresses the deeds of each believer. We must all appear before this, this bema seat. There is a day of accountability for our deeds, and we will receive what is due us. Matthew 25, 31, let's turn to that real quick. Last week, Pastor Wade preached on the sheep and the goats. And he pulled from this source in Matthew. But I want to point out the very beginning of verse 31 and how it relates to 2 Corinthians five ten. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So what is clear is that at his return, when he's coming to separate the sheep from the goats, he will sit upon this bema seat in order to carry out that judgment between the sheep and the goats. Joe, if you could pull up the the timeline here that we displayed last week. So you guys see it? We have the, the day of the Lord which is the first resurrection mentioned in the book of Revelation, which is also the sheep and goats and the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. In this separation of sheep and goats, it is a determination of whether or not you are in the kingdom. You know, wasn't that an earth-shaking revelation that Pastor Wade gave? that you will have this determination of those who have lived their whole lives looking as close as possible to being a sheep, calling themselves in Christ, very well have been in Christ, but the motives of their heart were wrong. They begin to deviate from being connected with the head. And there will be a judgment between those who are sheep and those who so closely resemble. You know, Matthew 7, 21 lays this out. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I what? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do all these spiritual things? And he'll say, away from me, for I never knew you. That is going to happen here at the sheep and the goats, at this Bema seat. There is a judgment to come for believers, that we must anticipate now within our daily life. As we go through this, let's go to Obadiah 15. I'm pulling from that book that's well worn out within your Bible, right? One chapter. Say there when you are there. Obadiah 15 the day of the Lord is far away. No, come on, say it with me. The day of the Lord is near. near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I hear those very words, or at least the centrality of that thought within the parables that Jesus taught, right? Right? They have the unmerciful servant, for example. This is what is drawing near within the day of the Lord. That as you have done, let's make this personal. Say with me, say, as I have done, I have done, it, will done it will be done to me. There's an accountability, a reckoning for everything that you have done in the body, whether good or bad. And the last part of this, your deeds, say my deeds, my will return upon our own head. If what we have done is engage God's word that is living and active and allow it to constantly judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, maintaining that right relationship with God, producing deeds of righteousness, what is in store for us is a crown that will go upon our heads. But if we deviate, if we are rejecting listening to God's word, Avoiding his judgment, garmenting ourselves with layers upon layers of fig leaves of justification. What will fall upon our will not be a crown, but it will be the fiery coals of his judgment. You know, understanding these principles will help us rightly understand then how God deals with the entirety of mankind. Is God just? Yes. So we look within his word, we first start with the character of who he is, that he is just and nothing is unfair. If you read something within God's word and you think that it is missing love, it's missing fairness, please don't indict the character of God. Instead, realize you're probably missing something and you need to seek just a little bit further at what God's word says. Say with me, everything I do, will be judged. Will be judged. Nothing, is Nothing is hidden. With his return and our giving account in mind, our hearts should be filled with the fear of the Lord. Constantly measuring our thoughts and attitudes today. So, we read last week, and I want you to say this with me as well. It was out of 1 Peter four seventeen. For it is time for, is time. for judgment to begin... With the family of God. Turn to First Peter four seventeen. There you go, brother. Come on, Rob. I want to begin with the first part of this verse and emphasize that it begins with us. What it, before I read it, what is one of the most popular statements from people, or may have been from you at one point in time? Don't judge me as one. <laughs> Why they are not Christians. Hypocrites. Isn't that pretty unanimous? You know, we've took missions trips to other countries that have had some Christian influence. You know, I heard the same thing halfway across the world that I also hear here. That it's, it's the condition of man's heart that when in a state that is separated from God, that is living in sin full of guilt, the first thing that they will do is begin to blame the, the lack of righteousness within the ambassadors of Christ's name. And so when we're looking at this, it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Saints, realize what's on the line. That let's start with today. Your representation of Jesus, of Christ, is going to be directly reflecting upon your level of engagement of God's word upon your own heart. That the more that you're refined, the more that you let the God, God's word Pry out of your heart offense, pry out of your heart fear, anxiety, everything that hinders, like the word that came forth during worship, even self-righteousness. As God's word strips these things away, all that is left is that which has been redeemed and is the image of the living God inside of you. And therefore, you are able to be a clear representative and ambassador of his name. And when men try to call you a hypocrite, they will look like a fool that the breastplate of his righteousness upon you will defend you, but more importantly, defend the name of God. We all aspire. We're sitting in this room because we want to know Jesus more. We want to be refined into his image more. What we were talking this morning, you know, you can see the background of of congregants in this one uh, guy on YouTube as he preaches to his church. And our thought was, for such a powerful preacher and the things that he says, he really has a small church. And it's because he brings such a fiery word, a convicting word. He's constantly using God's word to judge the thoughts and attitudes of his own heart and the people they're seeing in his congregation. And the reality is, we hate it. My flesh hates correction. My flat's hates being judged. And like the comment earlier, in addition to saying that all Christians are hypocrites, it's also a defensive mechanism to say, don't judge me. That's what the Word says. Well, the Word says so much more than that, and it's out of context. No, what we should be crying out is, Lord, please judge me. Please let your Word come and cut me to the heart. Make me like one of those in Acts 2 that replies with, what must I do to be saved? If we are constantly repenting, it's because we are constantly engaging in God's word. I don't know about you, but I'm not resurrected yet. Some of you in the room look like you're resurrected. You glow, you got, you know, just muscles and all that kind of stuff, and that doesn't exist on me. I'm losing my hair and gravity's taking effect. But the whole purpose of this constant engagement of God's word It's so that the judgment to come, you can be found affirmed in his sight. Breaking that down on a a micro level of how engagement with his word today looks like. If someone is meeting with me and they say that every time I meet with you, I'm always corrected. Well, there's a number of things wrong with that. Number one, you're not spending enough time around me. I'm not spending enough time around you. But secondly, you're missing the whole point of what correction is for. Correction, using God's word, is meant to give you life. It's meant to open up your heart, and I want you to see what's really inside your heart. I don't need you to tell me what it is. I want God's word to reveal it, because what the result is, is that it mines out those deep and secret things. It brings them to the surface, and now God can fix it. Now, as we move forward, looking at the judgment to come, isn't that the whole purpose of God coming back, Jesus coming back and bringing his judgment is that he is bringing finality to the heavens and earth and he is completing the task of fixing this? Yes. Adam and Eve were called and designed and tasked by God to subdue the earth and fulfill it. That's been our job the whole time. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to finish that. And he does it with completing his judgment. It's time for judgment to begin with us. So we must pay more careful attention to listen carefully to what his word is speaking to us. And let it judge our hearts. Let it engage us. Let it convict you. Seek it out. This is the mercy of our Father. I want you to view correction like this you have the ability to get the answer today. By, some, by God's word, and somebody bringing to you God's word of something you're not doing right, you're getting the answer or the ability to find the answer ahead of the Bema Seat of Christ. If what we're waiting is that we just build our own righteousness and then wait until that Bema Seat moment for Jesus to judge what we do, We're going to be found woefully short and building only with wood, hay, and stubble instead of gold, silver, and precious stones. We have to love correction because it's the mercy of God being extended to us. Let's go to John chapter 6. Y'all feeling this? Me too. 6.38 6.38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The end goal of God's word being living and active and that nothing in all creation be hidden from his sight is that when you're held into account, you're found to be with him. When you're held into account, you're raised in glory. Glory. God disciplines the sons that he loves. And we view this, the heart of the father and the heart of the son is that you are able to get it right, but more importantly, you get it righteous. That none of you in this room are lost and found woefully short standing before God at the bema seat. But you are found to be a faithful servant you're found to be, those can be included with Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. You'll be found worthy to receive an inheritance in the kingdom of God. First Timothy 2, verse 3, I'll read this to you. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. When thinking of a mediator, there's a certain scenario that we've, I think most of us have participated in, and that is traffic court, right? Been there when I was uh, before 18 and also after I was 18. And traffic court is, uh, is not a fun endeavor by any means, Uh, Just the bureaucratic speed can kill you alone. Well, when you finally get there, what you did is whatever the police officer wrote you down for the offense. And have you ever seen somebody try and argue with the judge and justify how what they did really wasn't the case? How tolerant is the judge of those explanations? Not at all. And I've seen some, some pretty stupid explanations. So really you're just showing up there to receive a sentence and more importantly to feel the weight of the court because they're trying to leave an impression of don't do this again. They're hoping that that weight that sits on you is there gnawing in your ear as you're down that straightaway that says 45 and you want to go about 75 or whatever other infraction that you typically do in driving. Well, by having a mediator what we have access to right now is that before we get to that day, that appointed time, that's stamped on your ticket of when to appear in court, as we drive around, I have access in my ears, I carefully listen to the attorney that is on my side, reminding me of what the word of the state has to say about how I drive. In addition to that, I also have in the other ear the judge himself guiding me, giving me instructions carefully and uh, giving me guidance. And at times using some force as he impresses upon me what is demanded by the laws of the land. And what's even better is that the attorney and the judge are related, their father and their son. And even to go beyond is that the father had his son pay my debts that I owe for what I've already done wrong. And that by this relationship with the mediator, we have the opportunity to listen to the correction and the direction that God is constantly giving and averting the final judgment being against us and the separation from God's presence. You have access to the throne of God, which means you have access through Jesus to the counsel of God. I have a counselor. You have a counselor that's not just favorable. He's not just in your court. He is within you. And his intent is that none of you are lost and that every single one of you are raised up on the last day. Let's look at John chapter 12, verse 48. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. Let me read this again. I know that his command leads to eternal life. The proper view of correction, the proper view of God's word judging us every microsecond is that this leads to eternal life. And if I reject it, it leads to eternal damnation. It has to be that clear cut. When speaking to the nation of Israel and giving them their laws, He said, I put before you today life and death. That is what we face every time we have a thought or attitude that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to make it obedient to Christ are we going to let it sit and dwell and fester into a rebellious heart or attitude towards God and those he's put around us? we got to kill it with the word. we got to let our hearts be judged with his word so that we are led into eternal life. That's the whole goal. There are too many scriptures to share at this time to demonstrate God's desire for us to receive salvation. He has sent his own son, and his spirit to help us get it right. Help us get it righteous. It is therefore our responsibility to love the constant correction of his word that will lead us to eternal affirmation. May read that again. It is therefore our responsibility to love the constant correction of his word that will lead us to eternal affirmation. Let's go to 1 Peter 4.18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will the outcome or what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Where were you when Jesus found you? You were in a great place, right? Business was good. Friends and family loved you. Just you were in complete shalom and peace. Everything was fine. And Jesus was just like a a sprinkling on top of some ice cream, right? No. I know for me that Jesus found me in a place of destitute and desperation. I was indebted. My whole life was going down the toilet, but it looked fine on the outside. I was hollow. I was empty, depressed, suicidal, you name it, it's there. I did not want to live, and I had zero purpose for my life. I needed to be rescued, but didn't know that I needed to be rescued. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I was a slave when it came down to it. I was a slave to my own sin. And what began to turn that around is that God began to illuminate his standard through his word to me. And laying there in my bed, in my room, I had a choice to make. God was demonstrating his mercy to me by judging the thoughts and attitudes of my heart, revealing to me my true condition. What was I going to do with it? Would I let it lead me to eternal life? Or would I harden my heart and be stiff-necked and reject his counsel? Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 7 and read about this. There you go. Say there when you're there. There you go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring about my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites Out of it. I could relate to that being in that position of being a slave. I could not crawl my way out of Egypt on my own. I was a prisoner to my own sin. And when the word of God illuminated to me my condition that I was a slave to sin, but then began to promise and show me a deliverance out of it, absolutely, I'll take it. But it required me to completely surrender my life. And by that absolute surrender, I found his absolute salvation. But what that also meant is that now we have a demonstration here in Exodus, how God dealt with his enemies. And what we have is a cycle of plagues, warning, warning, judgment. And at the very end, No warning, just judgment. If this is how God deals with his enemies, how much more then will he deal with the righteous that are his children? The mercy that's there for us. So in all of this admonition and encouragement for you to let God's word judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart because it's weighty. We must consider everything that we think and everything that we do. There is a level of mercy that the Father has to help us through it. That he takes us by the right hand and he leads us through this. No different than he did with the Israelites in the desert. He took them by the hand and he led them through the desert. He says in Deuteronomy 8 that he caused them to hunger and thirst so that they may know that man doesn't live on bread alone, but from every Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved in that manner, then what will the outcome of the wicked be when they have received mercy as well? You know, have you ever apologized to somebody? This is hypothetical, by the way. You ever apologize to somebody for something that you really didn't do wrong But what you're trying to do is establish a means of mercy and peace and restoration. Yes. I think most married couples, their heads bob up. Yes, absolutely. And then what are you waiting for after you apologize? They apologize back. Okay, yeah, that's what I was looking for because I really knew that you were at fault. Okay, good. But what happens if they don't? Was your motive right in the first place? Did you really want to establish peace? Or did you really want them to apologize for what you thought they did wrong? Right? How much more is God just? When he has extended his mercy, when he's gone to the extent of sacrificing his own son to pay for the debts of those who transgress against him, and there is no reciprocation, and there's no acknowledgment. We're made in the image of God, right? That's not just the physical way that we look. Our 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 thinking, our emotions. God has thinking. He has emotions. If this is how we feel as a means of injustice with just a personal relationship, how much more does he feel towards those who reject his word and reject his daily judgment as a result of it? You know, this is something to weigh. So what that should do in us is that we are overflowing with thankfulness of the mercy that we do receive from the Father. And what that looks like is, yes, correct me. Yes, share a word with me that rips me to shreds because God's going to put me back together stronger than I was before. Yes, please speak into my life. I want it. I need it. And without it, I'm rejecting the counsel of God. But what I want, I want your correction, I want your word to lead me to eternal life so that when I stand before God at the bema seat, I will be found to be a wheat. I'll be found to be a sheep and not be separated from your presence. There is a judgment to come, but let's beckon its its presence here and now today in our heart. Amen? Amen? Amen. If you are still alive there is hope to repent. This is not only encouragement for those in the room, but for your family members, for your co-workers, for that neighbor that you love. If they are alive, there is still hope for repentance. If you are still breathing, transformation can occur. It's only when breathing stops that's no longer possible. Consider the kindness and sternness of God. Say this with me. Love correction. Love correction. Seek, out Seek out discipline. Let the judgment of God, judgment of God. Fall, on us now. fall on us now. If we do these things as opposed to trying to repent when standing before his throne, we will be found worthy of the kingdom at his throne, at his Bema seat. You want to be found worthy? Yes. Come on, I think everybody's heart's cry is that they want to get it right. I think everybody's heart's cry is that they want to be valuable in the kingdom of God. I think everybody's heart's cry is that they want to do honor to not only the name, but the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus that has purchased you from slavery and brought you into freedom. Let's honor his name by beckoning his judgment to come in our hearts today instead of waiting for it to come in the future. Let's turn to Revelation 20, verse 11. There will be a day when all judgment is final and everything is held fully accountable. Here in Revelation 20, verse 11, we have the great white throne judgment. This occurs after the millennial reign. It's clear as we read it. And in it, you have the second resurrection. The first resurrection is, is the resurrection of the righteous. And there you have the Bema seat of Christ. Here we have the great white throne. So let's read about it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they thought. Come on, talk with me. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the conclusion to putting all things under his feet. This is the finality of all judgments. Let's put up that that, uh, timeline again. Revelation 19.10 speaks of a rider on a white horse, and he's initiating this judgment that will bring it to a point of finality and subduing all things under his feet over this course of the thousand years. And at the end of these thousand years, we have the great white throne judgment, which we have occurring the second resurrection and the second death It said, blessed are those who partake of the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the righteous in this resurrection of the great white throne. There is no other judgment to occur. Everything is fully settled in their accounts, even to the point where death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. When death ceases to exist, isn't that a finality? Is the end? end of the very thing that all humans face at the end of their life? I want you to feel the weight of the finality of that judgment on that day. And that the books of your life, my life, are going to be opened in every little thing you've ever done is going to be weighed and measured at the Bema seat or if you're outside of Christ, at the great white throne. I don't know about you, but I want to receive a reward. A reward of not just eternally existing with him, I want to eternally rule and reign with him. I want to be found worthy of him looking at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. A good word. But let me be honest with you about my own heart, and maybe you can relate to this. Whenever I look at my thoughts and my attitudes, I easily skip over them. I excuse them, I justify them in some shape or form and I block them in the back of my mind as if they'll never be dug up again. Okay, it's past, it's behind us. No, you have the opportunity to determine the outcome of when you stand before the throne of God. You have the opportunity to receive reward or wrath. You determine that. Because when the books are open and he measures, God is going to be just based on what you have done. So I don't know if you're like me, but when you look at those things that you have done and you're calculating the remainder of things that you could possibly do, righteous and unrighteous, do you feel that chasm That separation from God, and if only you could make it right, if only you could close that distance. I do. Only if there was someone there to advocate for me. If there was someone there to take up my cause. Let's go to Job nine, verse thirty three. Actually thirty two. The title of today's message was Judgment to Come, Consequences of Accountability. Where this has led my heart in sharing with you today is the response to this title. Knowing that there is a day of judgment to come and I will be held accountable for Everything. And it produced in me a heart's cry. As we pick up here in Job 9, verse 32, He is not a man like me that I may answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us. Isn't that the eventual cry in your heart whenever you feel guilty? and that you've wronged the Lamb, you've wronged the Word of God, you've missed the mark. If only there was someone here to help us reconcile. To lay His hand upon us both. Someone to remove God's rod from me. Men and women spend their lives appeasing their consciences with social justice deeds in order to try and remove God's rod that hangs over them. And it's because of their own sin. They feel the weight of their separation between them and God. But what they're longing for is someone to arbitrate. What they're longing for is a mediator who would come and reconcile this, and they're just trying to do it in their own strength. Or more importantly, you're trying to do it. And your own strength. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll forget about that thought. I'll forget about that attitude of my heart. I won't tell anybody about it. I'll keep it secret. And I'll pray louder in a group. I'll let other people know the words that I put together to share with other people. I will demonstrate to my peers around me how righteous I really am. And that will help appease that separation that I feel between me and God. It should be just the opposite. That we are interceding on others' behalf and not telling anyone. We're doing our deeds of righteousness in secret. Our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. And no one sees this except God so that only he gets the glory. You know how you're able to do those things? When you've met the mediator. When you've engaged his character, and received it inside of you, you are now able to emulate who he is. And instead of being a self-justifying, fig-leaf-wearing sinner, you're now able to be a perfect example of who the Son of God is to us. The result is this. 34, so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but now as it stands with me, I cannot. Reflect back on the Timothy scripture, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. There's only one solution to the distance that you feel between yourself and God and that judgment that's there. And that is Jesus. He is the only answer. He is the only solution that can help you get it right before God. He is the only means in which you can love correction and seek out discipline. I know I didn't do that before I loved Jesus. I struggle with it now. But because I love Jesus, and more importantly, because He is my mediator and has done that arbitration... I can now rightly receive God's word coming alive and judging the thoughts and attitudes of my own heart. There is no more of a terror between me and God. Instead, there is a delight. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. With this arbitrator in place, as you have a relationship with Jesus that comes from repentance, a relinquishing of your own life, a crying out for this mediator, this is the access that you have. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I want us to stand. The response is this. everything I do will be judged and nothing is hidden. This will provide for me a constant correction that leads to eternal affirmation. And the right view of judgment and judgment to come will be that I am engaging his judgment now in my own heart so I can stand approved and affirmed at the Bema Seat. And that I can now then take that message of what I have received and go share it with those who wait for their doom at the great white throne. I can go bring a gospel message of salvation and others can inherit and receive the very thing that I'm experiencing now. I can introduce them to the mediator of this covenant and see their souls saved from death where I was and where I am certain not to be we can participate in the inheritance of salvation by engaging god's word and letting it judge us so as we begin to pray as we begin to seek god's face i want you to measure your heart i want you to do what we were doing in the first worship service and letting him reveal what have you clothed yourself with that is not from him what thoughts and attitudes have you allowed to sit and cultivate that need to be uprooted Come down to the altar and let his word pull it out of you. Let his word clothe you so that when you get up, you can have full confidence and assurance that I can walk into the holy of holies and be right with God and receive what I need from him. Amen.